thank you for joining us for the first TRADOC Leader Professional Development Discussion of 2022. I'm Sarah Howe, the Command Information Chief for TRADOC's Communication Directorate, and I'll be moderating today's event. We're starting the new year with a discussion on creating culture through leadership and to help lay out this important aspect of every institution, we've got some experts joining us. First is Lieutenant General Maria Gervais, Deputy Commanding General of TRADOC. Welcome, ma'am. It's always a great time to have you here with us for the LPD. Uh, last time you were with us, you were actually on the other side as a guest and a panelist. So it's great to have you uh, in studio and uh, on the other side of things. So welcome, ma'am. Uh, well, thank you, uh, Sarah. It's great to be back again and to be on this side. And so good morning, teammates, and Happy New Year. I mean, it is a great honor to be able to host this very first uh, leader professional development seminar. I mean, when you're thinking about it, I mean, culture and leadership, what two great topic areas to talk about. And also to be the host and with our guest, Jenny Clark, I mean, absolutely amazing if you've read her bio and what she's done throughout her career. I mean, what she's going to talk about from what her experience has been, you're gonna find is gonna be very similar to what we are discussing inside of the Army. So Sarah, it's a great opportunity to be here and thank you so much and I look forward to the discussion. Absolutely, and it, we are super excited to have Miss Jenny Clark with us today and uh, you as well, ma'am. So thanks again for being part of the discussion. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, today we're going to talk about leadership and how it's so vital in shaping an organization's culture. Uh, today's guest, Miss Jenny Clark, is a holistic leadership strategic strategist and former director of executive recruiting at Google. Uh, Ms. Clark is a proven expert at driving diverse leadership and has advised at the highest levels of corporate America for decades. She's helped thousands of executives elevate their careers through her, through her expertise. At Google, she led the company's diversity, non-tech recruiting, and leadership internal mobility team. She found and hired many of the organization's senior leaders and built and scaled an internal mobility program that supports their executive recruiting function to this day. She's an author and host of a podcast for leaders, thinkers, and future makers. Today, she is the CEO of Jenny Clark LLC, her own talent and leadership consulting business. And we're so excited to have her here today. Ms. Clark, thank you for joining us. Sarah, thank you so much. It's a true honor to be with you today. Really appreciate it. Absolutely, and pleasure's all ours, ma'am. I know we're super excited for this conversation. So just before we get started, I do want to remember, remind everyone that's joined us that we want you to join the discussion. We've got some really great people here. We want you to ask questions for them. Uh, so drop your questions into the comments feed on either the Facebook Live or the watch feed, and we'll try to get them answered before the end of the event. And if we aren't able to, certainly keep an eye on our social media pages and we'll try to get answers to those questions um, and get them posted in the near future. And now that we've introduced everyone and gotten everyone excited about this conversation, let's go ahead and get started. Uh, the first question is going to go out to you, Ms. Clark. So could you start by explaining what exactly culture is of an organization? Yeah, you know, I think culture has um, is often kind of conflated with the term brand, right? And there is an element of a brand, but I think the culture is really what guides how the employees behave, um, how they feel and how they think. 
you know, Google has this reputation for having this really fun culture with food and ping pong tables and all these things. And all of that is true. And we enjoyed that. But that's not necessarily the culture. That's the environment, right? And there's a whole social, psychological environment of an organization that is defined by the culture. And I contend that leaders really shape that by virtue of their behaviors, both on the job and off the job, right? It doesn't, um, you know, it, it doesn't just, it follows you around. So I really describe culture as the environment and the experiences of the people in the organization. Excellent. Well, I appreciate that. And I think it's huge that you've mentioned that the culture is based on experiences and behaviors and how those behaviors of leadership can directly um, affect employees and other individuals' um, actual experiences within that organization. So right. um, I've never actually heard it described like that. So I really appreciate that. Um, now, I wanted to jump over to General Gervais real fast because I know culture can be described very differently in the private sector and then through the military. So um, General Gervais, what do you think, are there similarities for say the army culture? The army's been very focused on adjusting their culture and making it more an inviting and trusting and respecting situation. So General Gervais, what, uh, did you hear any similarities between how Ms. Clark described culture within uh, the civilian sector and how we try to build culture here in, through Tradoc and then the Army as a whole? Yeah, hey, so great question. And, you know, as um, if you listen to what um, Jenny Clark said, I mean, you know, it is what really guides the organization and how we act. So if you think about it, the similarities be between what she said and the Army I mean, it is very similar. So for example, the culture, the culture that we have, our, our foundational elements are our values. Leadership, loyalty, duty, respect, honor, um, integrity, personal courage. I mean, if you think about that and selfless service too, those are our, our values. And those values are very fundamental on who we are, what we want to do and what we stand for. And so as you know, as you think, look at it, the similarities, I mean, each and every day, it is what guides us. It's what our leaders stand for, but more importantly, it's what we stand for as an army. And you know, to think about it, so culture, what is the output of culture? I mean, what is it that it, you're trying to do through that, a culture that you establish through leadership? I mean, it is trust. It is a trust from the bottom up, the, you know, to the up and bottom down, right? And trust is the, the bedrock of everything that we do and we have to do within the Army. And, you know, from that trust, it creates that environment that Jenny talked about, being able to thrive, empower, be, in, form inclusive teams. So I saw so many similarities. It was just said a little bit differently. Um, but it really does help with the vision and who we are and what our values are. So great, I mean, I, great synergy here between our discussion. Absolutely, and I completely agree. Um, there's, you don't, sometimes I think it's hard for us as a society to make the connections that how organizations like Google and Ms. Clark's new organization that she's CEO of and the 
army and military as a whole build their organization. I think it's hard sometimes to see those uh, those similarities. And so I think this is it's great to hear that organizations like the army or civilians build their foundation the same way across the board. So Jenny, what as an expert in kind of talent management, how important is um, talent management to building a successful culture, which is based on experiences and behaviors of individuals? Um, it's critically important because I fear that a lot of companies, and, and let me remind many of you, my, my knowledge of history and the history of work is that most corporations were set up and organized based on a paramilitary structure. The hierarchy is something that we have emulated for you know centuries, right? Um, and so, and and there are good things and not so good things about that. And I think you know maybe it's worth chatting about, particularly given COVID, what have been some of the shifts that might be happening in the future of work. Having said that, what I've always admired about the military is that there are constructs that people are expected to honor. There's an infrastructure, there's a foundation. And to me in organizations and having been, I'd never really seen myself as being an HR person, but at Google, that's where I sat. I had been a, an executive recruiter, which was quite different. Um, but even though that's what I did at Google. And so it was interesting to really see how the systems really needed to be reestablished and importantly honored and they weren't always honored um, and i'll use google as an example because it's a very young organization it's only 22 years old or 23 years old that's that's a young whippersnapper when you think about it right and they were this fast growing startup and my observation is that they really didn't impose some of those structures that would support a more consistent um respect and honor and accountability is a key word. I know that's one of the key words in the army, right? Everybody needs to hold themselves accountable. What are you holding yourself accountable to? Your behaviors need to be consistent with the values as General Gervais mentioned. Um, they need to be supporting trust. They need to be able to influence how certain outcomes. Um, and, and so I think we can't, we need to kind of go back a lot of, and this is where I think the, the military has an advantage because these systems are in place. And that from what I can gather, um, there's a greater level of accountability than I think that what we're seeing. And kind of what I'm referring to, I'm not here trying to badmouth Google by any stretch. I'm referring to some of the other companies that we've heard about, and I should say organizations, not just companies, but government officials recently that we've seen have to step down because of bad behavior, toxic workplaces. And those that's happening because people weren't honoring the foundational elements that were set forth to say, this is what we expect of you and your behavior while you are part of this organization. And to the extent you can't honor those things, you can't stay here. And so I think we need to get a lot more corporate America could benefit from being a little bit more strict on some of those things. Yeah, hey, Jenny, I, I think that's um, absolutely a tremendous point you just made. Because, you know, um, culture, it, it's not like, you know, you get a culture and it just stays the same, right? I mean, I think if I recall, you and I talked about at Google where you were hiring about 20,000, um, you know, every year. Well, in the Army, you know, we represent the, the fabric of America and we're, we're recruiting, 
you know, about 100,000 and turning it over and training about 500,000 each, uh, each year. So when you look at that, you know, that foundational element and understanding that and kind of what does right look like and what are the expectations that we have from you, I mean, is so critical because getting that understood because you, you use the word accountability, um, which is key, right? So the Army is a profession. You know, we take an oath, expectations for, you know, defending our nation. And with that oath, I mean, because we're a profession, we need to, what I call, police ourselves, right? We police ourselves, and that's got to happen down at the lowest levels and up the upper levels, too. Because, you know, that thing, that when it's not, it breaks that trust. Um, and so, you know, when, um, when we talk about the accountability or police in ourselves, you know, um, it, it's, it's interesting, um, and I'd be curious to hear your perspective. You know, leaders, and especially we see it at the Army, we kind of lay out the expectations. This is what we expect from you. These are our values. This is what right looks like. So we kind of set the tone to establish the climate. But the question becomes, where is the climate actually being established? At what level, by who? And if you know, you know, what is being done and is it being enforced or policed at the right levels? Because you could be saying one thing and your audio not be matching your video. I'd be curious, you know, if you think about um, that from your perspective, your experience. I love the audio not matching the video um, phrase. That That's absolutely so true. And I think um, there's an element in this that I feel very strongly about, and that is because I'm a, I'm a rule follower for the most part. I'm not perfect, but I mean, that's part of what we're saying is there are expectations and there's plenty of room to do things your way, but you you're gonna you take that oath because it's for the betterment of all. And so part of what I think in, in my experience in assessing top leaders is there's an element, and this, this word has been tossed around a lot since COVID started happening, this notion of empathy. And I think leaders' responsibility is to really be able to take a pulse of their teams and understand what they're going through, because not everybody is okay. You know, I can't, so I don't want this to sound like we want everybody just to fall in line and there's no regard for one's humanity. Um, I think we do need that more than ever. Um, and again, I and I do think I'm not suggesting that the army doesn't do that. I actually think that you do a better job of it than a lot of corporations do, um, because I think a lot of corporations have gone too far to, to focus on just profitability and trying to get things done and trying to get people hired and and things that aren't really making individuals conscious of the, the greater collective that they are a part of. And so I think we need to balance the conversation by saying the culture is going to be a function of not just the leader's behavior, but as well the behaviors of the individuals um, and the extent to which they can feel included, supported, um, valued, right, for what their contributions are. And some of that becomes very, um, it's, it's a feeling, right? It's, it's not an absolute. We're still human. We still need to feel and have that empathy. Yeah, that's a, those are really great points that you made, Jenny, about being people and making people feel as if they're part of something bigger and they're included in the larger picture because 
I know over the last two years or so, the Army has been really, really focused on adjusting their culture and introducing a culture that um, speaks to those that we are wanting to join us. So we have adjusted how we're communicating um, the values of the Army and how they can play into the team of that because we know that different generations see a culture and see the army through a different lens so i think it's really interesting that you actually bring up some of those kind of um trigger words that the army has been using when trying to adjust their culture and i think we've made some great strides and actually general gervais that's a question that i have for you is the the army has been working so very hard on adjusting their culture so what are some of the the wins that you've seen us and Tradeoff make as a whole to adjust our culture? And what do you think some of our, our challenges are going to be as we continue to implement and try to get this culture to start from the leaders who are making these decisions all the way down to that brand new recruit who we need to accept our culture and believe in our culture? So what are some of those wins and challenges we've had so far, do you think, General Gervais? Yeah, hey, um, so you know, if you think about it, within TRADOC, because of what we do um, in terms of, you know, doctrine for our Army, which guides what we do, and then also organization, our training and leader development, how we educate, um, and then the fact that our sessions mission kind of is the recruitment piece where we bring in, you know, the, the new kind of civilians and we take them through a process so that they become a soldier in our basic combat training or our one station unit training piece of that. Um, so when you take a look at that, you really drive change in our Army through all of these lenses that I just talked about. And so when you just start with what are we doing in our basic combat training? Um, you know, I will tell you if you talk to, you know, those that have went through before, they're going to tell you about the time, you know, where you came in you know, you got them off the bus, you were in their face, um, and, you know, it was, it was very intense um, process. We've kind of changed our approach as we bring in the, the, um, these new young soldiers with, it's still intense. The intensity comes from having to actually execute the task and become a member of that team. Where we've changed is how we, we bring them in. We bring them in and we show them how our professionalism we show them the importance of the mission that we do. And we, we create the situation where they want to be part of that team because of what we do each and every day. We've also changed inside of our basic combat training the, the model. The model is now going to allow the first two weeks is now going to really be focused on those things that really they have to understand. You know, the things in terms of what our values are, why they're important, you know, the different um, processes that what right looks like. For example, you know, what might have been okay at home to call somebody is not what we expect here. Now, you, you know, I think what's important here is we just got to remember when you, people are a product of growing up, right? How they grew up, what they were exposed to, what, and what they think, you know, potentially what was right in one place may not be exactly what is right in the next. So in our basic combat training, we've changed the first two weeks so that we can really drill down and focus on that very heavily to, um, so that we can start to set the stage because 
You want them to understand that from the very beginning as they come through. We've also changed our professional military education. We're, we're changing things, for example, how do we select our leaders for command? through our command assessment program. We're also focusing on our, um, how do we develop our leaders from the very beginning? And we call this Project Athena. This is something where we're allowed, you know, it's a self-development tool for our leaders at every level where they get an assessment and they get feedback, they get coaching throughout their entire, their entire career at different points of their career, which is really a thing that you want them to understand in terms of what is right, what is not, and how do I develop myself so that I can make sure I'm applying those, those uh, leadership skills. We're, we, you know, we're also creating lots of different vignettes because what we found is, and it'd be curious, Jenny, to hear your perspective. As we're talking to um, you know, the Generation X, Y, Z, they're, they're different. They grew up with technology in their hand. They're native to technology. What's important, they have different skill sets. So our, we had to change our approach to understand that. And as we're talking through some of our initiatives, what we find is that their heads are going like this, but they don't fully appreciate, no, how do I actually take what you just said and apply it? So now we're trying to get to more immersive type environments that will allow somebody to really see themselves in it and how they react and don't. Um, so that we can do instantaneous, corrective, and, and learning through different repetitions and, and sets. And then the last one I'll mention is, you know, it's just not about that piece of it. We're also changing some of the things in terms of how are we changing from a physical standpoint to get after. How do we better care for um, our soldiers, you know, through our, um, our H2F, which is a really a holistic fitness, everything from spiritual diet to physical, emotional, I mean the whole person concept. Um, and we're also driving change through our physical training through our, our Army Combat Fitness Test so that we can better focus on developing um, from an individual standpoint the things that we're going to have to do in concept. So those were just a broad brush. I know it took a little bit of time, so I'll just pause and Jenny, if you want to jump in, or Sarah, if there's more questions on that, um, I'm open to exploring any way you want to go with it. Yeah, we've definitely, Miss uh, Clark, did you have any, um, I guess, feedback on how these initiatives that we've kind of adopted, do you think we're moving um, from your perspective and your experience with uh, leader development, do you think we're moving in the right direction, especially talking about how leaders are so integral to shaping a culture of an organization? Yeah, um, I, I think you're ahead of the curve in many ways, because I think in, in the corporate world, there's a lot of talk about those things. I'm not sure they're actually being activated and I would say, again, I'm not here to disparage. I'm making observations based on my 30 years being in the corporate world. Unfortunately, I think a lot of these things become within corporations. Again, it goes back to that whole notion of what's driving leaders' behaviors, right? Because an organization is made up of people and the leaders are the ones who are ultimately accountable for the direction and the, and the performance and the outcomes. And so part of what I, I, what I fear is that human resources or the people organization is the one that is just kind of, you know, said, well, you guys handle that, that talent management stuff, you handle it. 
And it's, it's such a miss because the senior most individuals in the organization are the ones who need to be um, the standard bearers of what is expected, not just in the execution of the work, but really in the, the care and feeding of all of those, dare I say, soldiers, those people in their organization, right? I mean, the, the parallels are direct. Um, and General Gervais, I loved some of the things that you were mentioning, some keywords for me, professionalism. That's not being taught in corporate America anymore. It's not necessarily being modeled to the extent that it was when I came out of business school um, X number of decades ago. Um, two other key things that I think are absolutely essential, feedback and coaching. Um, I talk nearly every day about feedback being one of the most critical leadership behaviors that needs to happen. Um, and I, I also feel strongly that a leader can only give that feedback when they have, and I'm coming back to this personal piece of, I need to know myself as a leader. What motivates me? What are my strong points? My competencies? That's a term that I use a lot because to me, competencies are not just skills. They're skills, they're knowledge, and they're an ability. Because you can have the skill, but if you don't have the full knowledge and context of when to apply it and then have the ability to execute on it, then that's it's kind of not so useful. So competency to me is... Um, is that thing that, and there are many of them, and as a recruiter, I learned to do competency-based assessment for senior leaders. Um, and I think that's a lot of what General Gervais is you know, referring to, but I generally, I think the way that you're talking about it and thinking about it is literally ahead of the curve. You really are much farther along in the execution. And I would I would go back to something I said before, which is, you have the advantage of having a system that is undergirded with um, with these these principles and values of respect and honor and accountability, and I think that is setting you up for success. Yeah. So, Sarah, the the part of the question I didn't answer, um, and it was great to hear this piece. You asked about what were the challenges in my last mm -hmm. question, and so you know, as you think about it. Um, the, the challenges to me that we see, you know, first of all, you always got to be assessing your culture and you always got to be assessing how do you need to change your culture to drive that change. And so, you know, one of the concerns would be, you know, the if you aren't willing to do that, then I think the challenge you're going to have is irrelevancy or your the status quo is going to stay. And then and so I think that's one. I think the other thing, and Jenny, yeah, we we, we, we do have that system underneath, um, but through our assessments, we know we have some challenges. I mean, we have some harmful behaviors just like anybody else that's out there that we're, we're really tackling pretty hard. Um, and we're doing it so that we can make sure that we have established that foundation down at the lowest levels. For example, we have th this is my squad. You know, and, you know, we're trying to get after things in terms of understanding our soldiers and understanding having our, our junior leaders and our leaders at all levels understand, and you kind of mentioned it, how do you take care of your people, right? What does it mean to care for your people? So, you know, our, we, we say, you know, people first, winning matters because winning does matter in what we have to do in, for our army, for our nation. But at the same time, 
you know, people first means you understand, you know, one, yourself. You understand those. And so in a squad, we have this is my squad. And so that's like the smallest element that's down there. But that leader needs to understand everything about their, their, their soldier. You know, what are their strengths and weaknesses? Not just on the professional side, right? Because the things that are happening on the personal side will have the impact on the professional side of this. So understanding the young soldier, you know, or a squad leader or leader at any level, what are they struggling with personally? And then how can you assist in them overcoming that challenge? Because a couple of the things that we're kind of seeing across the board and, you know, we, we grew up without the technology. Okay, I had a little technology when I came in, but you know what I mean. It was, and we grew up through experience in it and learning through that. Well, today, I mean, one of the phrases is, hey, just Google it, right? Or, um, well, you know, I'm not putting a pun on Google, but <laughs> that's what they do, right? How do you solve this? Well, you know, they're struggling their way through that. So we want to make sure through This Is My Squad, we take ownership ownership of developing that soldier and not just the soldier the family the family coming into our organization so that we can get after those harmful behaviors like sexual assault sexual harassment so we can get after a suicide challenge um, and extremism and racism you know we're trying to do all of that by setting that good foundation at all levels and then putting those programs in place so that we can get our leaders and soldiers to understand that you know, because what we found throughout, um, you know, my career, they won't care until they know you care. So, yeah. Sarah, hopefully that no, answered the second part of that question. No, it did. And I, I appreciate that, General Gervais, for you to circle back and kind of discuss some of the challenges that we um, are facing as an army and trying to really address this culture. Because changing a culture is a big lift. As Jenny mentioned, Google has really put some time and effort into it, but they're a young organization. Mm -hmm. So if they face the same, face similar challenges to changing their culture when they're a young organization, think how difficult it is for an organization like the Army, who's been around four times as long as Google, and trying to make those changes, it, it's a really big deal. And so these conversations about how leaders they're in their positions because they uh, they have a passion for what they do, or we hope that they have a passion for what they do. So we kind of talked a little bit about how trust is a key element to helping change the culture. Um, it ha that trust has to be in the leaders. And we know that sometimes the leaders are unfortunately the most distrusted individuals in an organization. So my question would be to you, um, Miss Jenny, how, how can leaders ensure that they are a trusted voice that somebody is going to want to model themselves after and live by the culture and the visions and beliefs and uh, left and right parameters of an organization? How do leaders build that trust? The Army uses this as my squad and they're attempting to get into the weeds with their folks and have those personal conversations. So. How can they take that one step further and build that trust with their teams to really start making effective change on a culture? Yeah. yeah. 
Um, a couple things. One, I, I feel compelled to make a distinction between managing and leading. And I read a great um, Harvard Business Review article that talked about the difference between them and management is much more about control um, to achieve an outcome, right? And, and these aren't mutually exclusive. I mean, we need people who can manage and lead, but they're not the same thing. Leaders influence, right? This is leaders are the ones who are modeling and influencing managers and, and they might be also be managing people to achieve a certain task or set of tasks. So I think it's important to understand and to be able to identify some of the behaviors in individuals, because again, as, as an executive recruiter, part of what I was looking for um, were those, I wanted to see some managerial capability or to use a different word, operational capability, rigor, functional expertise, domain expertise in a particular function, right? So you gotta be able to do your job, that's great. But then as you ascend the ranks in any kind of an organization, that's when those leadership competencies begin to be really, really important. Um, and so those are things like what I alluded to before, great communication skills, effective decision-making. Those are competencies that we would assess for in the leaders of Google as an example. I'm gonna offer another, um, I was a linguist and so words matter to me. <laughs> so I'm gonna offer another sort of characteristic, if you will, or an attribute that um, that I think is, is really important. And I'm reminded actually of, um, I had on my podcast, a guy named Rich Devinney, who's a former Navy SEAL commander. And he said, you don't get to call yourself a leader. He said, that's like, that's calling yourself funny. You know, you can't call yourself that. Um, so you're not a leader by virtue of your rank. You're a leader to the extent that you are able to engender followership. And that comes from trust, right? It's having, yes, a demand, a command of, of information and knowledge and all those, that domain expertise is great. But we know plenty of people um, in the military, I'm sure, as well as in corporate America, who are expert and cannot lead their way out of a paper bag. Right, so they're very different skill sets that I'm talking about and competency sets. So in addition to the competencies, these behavioral characteristics, these attributes that Rich Devinney was talking about are really, really important. And that trust is essential. I also think um, integrity is essential. Um, my father was a prison warden. I considered him a, a, a just a remarkable leader. He was my sort of um, coach as I was growing up. And the integrity with which I always saw him operate, he respected other people at all levels of his organization. His team, the inmates, there was respect for them as human beings. So I think that is essential. You can never see yourself as being better than anybody else. Um, and in fact, you need to, the humility piece and the suppression of an ego is absolutely essential for a strong leader, in my in my opinion. That's what I've observed. And the suppression of the ego, to me, is the same as being self-aware. And this was something that, and I'm back to that, I know this is sort of a theme, I keep pointing to self because I think that's what's so important. And it's something that I saw early in my career as an executive recruiter, where I met some very senior people. I was interviewing them for roles, and I was initially a little intimidated, you know, as I'm, I'm interviewing these very senior, big titled people. And uh, as I interviewed them, I kind of went, really? 
you're a CFO, you're a president. I, I wasn't that impressed. And then I met somebody who really, really impressed me. And I thought, well, what did he have um, that made me feel so bought in, right? And it was his self-awareness. He could talk about, he could be vulnerable. He could talk about what he had done wrong. He could talk about how he wanted to help other people grow. And I think one of the, the uh, most important questions that I would ask leaders as I was assessing them, can you tell me about someone you've had on your team who has gone on to be successful in large part due to your support of their, uh, of their ascension and, right, and their career? And when it, it was remarkable how many people kind of went, um, kind of, I hadn't really thought about that. But think about it, that's a leader's job. It's to help unlock the potential and the capability in the people who are under them. It's not, you're not asking for blind faith. You are asking for people to trust you because you have a vision. You're also gonna rely on them for information that's gonna support the benefit to the benefit of the greater good. And so that's how, that's kind of how I'm looking at leadership. Those are wonderful points. And I think um, the Army has definitely been focusing on how we can make adjustments to pull that talent out of individuals or place them in a, in a situation that they're going to be able to use their knowledge, skills, and capabilities that you're, you're discussing. Yeah. Um, to their full potential, to be the best member of the T, the Army team that they can be based on focusing on them. Right. And your, your insight actually feeds right into a question that we got from the audience is, how do leaders ensure that they are making decisions on cultural change that are going to actually make a difference in a younger generation? Because cultures are, everlasting. Um, and I know General Gervais will have an insight on how Tradoc and the Army is making those decisions to be sure that we're setting the Army up for success. Because let's be honest, every culture is a foundation for future generations to take over. So how do leaders make changes that are actually going to positively benefit younger generations or the younger members of their, in, their organizations? It's a fabulous um, I think so much of it has to do with, again, that leaders, I'm, I'm back to this sort of empathy, their ability to understand themselves so that, because if you can't see it in yourself, it's pretty hard to see other aspects of people who are different. They're, by definition, they're going to be different from you, right? You don't want an army of automatons. You want people who feel and perceive and see things differently. That's, we know that that diversity is what strengthens any organization. And so the leader's job is to really un untap and, and activate all of those capabilities of each individual. And that means not writing somebody off and saying they're a failure because they couldn't do X, Y, and Z. Well, what else do you see in them that they might be able to do that could benefit the organization? So that to me, and I always said it differently before, but I, I think, the, the, the culture is going to fall out of that and setting forth the expectation for the behaviors of these individuals at all times that honor the, the underlying values of the Army and making it such that each individual feels responsible for their brother or sister, 
you're holding one another accountable as well. It, this shouldn't be, um, I'm, I'm just gonna look the other way and pretend that didn't happen. That's not good enough. That's dishonor as far as I'm concerned. Um, and so that's it. I go back to the leader needing to model that behavior and being willing to listen to things that they might not wanna hear. Um, a leader has to get feedback too. Right, and so you want to create a a microculture even with your squad, if if that's what you're talking about, um, so that there is a trade-off. Now, as I was saying to, I was speaking to a group yesterday, and I said, listen, you know, with the teams that I've led, I've, I at Google I had about 30 people, three different concurrent teams for internal mobility and diversity and recruiting, and I told them when I first started, when I was assigned to them, or they as they came to to join my teams. I said, listen, here's what I will and will not tolerate. And I'm afraid that a lot of leaders don't set that bar for what's expected. And so that I think is really essential. And I said, you need to know that I'm here for you, but I will only be here to the extent that I know that you are being straight with me, that I can trust you because I expect you to trust me. I'm gonna give it to you straight as often as I, to the extent that I have the truth, I'm gonna filter some stuff so that you can stay on task, <laughs> right? This isn't full transparency, it's not supposed to be. So I think those are some of the things that can engender the culture that you're going after, but it's very, it's granular, it's personal, um, and it's feeling your way through some of these things and that will over time build a culture of trust and support and, um, and collegiality that feels good to everyone. Absolutely. and I. I Again, everything you're saying sounds just like you're sitting right next to General Gervais when they're making decisions on how we're going to introduce culture into these new recruits that we're bringing in and um, just those basic um, combat training individuals who are trying to get folded in. So General Gervais, I want to ask you, um, from a military leader perspective, how is it that when your team sit down to make these initiatives and um, kind of look over the culture and see what needs to be changed. How are you implementing that people piece into adjusting and creating and building these new initiatives? Because I know the Army is all about people right now. We are a people business. That's what Tradeoff says. We are, Tradeoff doesn't exist without our people. So, how does your team, General Gervais, bring that element when making these big change decisions? to be sure that we're still remembering everyone up and down the ring. Yeah, hey, so um, first of all, Jenny, I gotta tell you, um, when you were talking about managing and leading, you know, if the camera was a little closer, you probably would've saw like a tear in my eye um, as you were going through that. Because as you talked about, you know, leaders' job is to influence, inspire, to unlock, you know, the potential in somebody before they ever see it, you know, it just reminded me when I first showed up to basic combat training. And you know, when you show up and they're teaching you how to march and do the, the movements and everything, those commands are coming like that, right? And I remember out there, it was coming so fast and furious. I mean, I was asking myself, can I do this? And I'll never forget the Sergeant First Class who sat me down, who was kind of giving me some feedback. And he said, how do you think you're doing? And I said, man, I don't think I'm gonna make this. These commands are too fast. I'm sorting it out in my head. I'm not getting it. And I got to tell you, he put his pencil down and he said, he goes, well, let me tell you what I see in you. 
and I tell you what, he changed that entire dynamic and has, you know, and I remember, you know, just from that day on, just, you know, how much more comfortable I was. He said, you will get that, but here are the different things I see in you. So I, I like I said, I had a little tear in my eye um, when you were saying it, um, because that, that is so powerful inspiring leadership is so so powerful and sometimes we don't fully appreciate the impact that we and I'm gonna say we and I'm gonna first say leaders and then I'm gonna say people we don't fully appreciate the fact that what a kind word can do encouragement or what a word a negative word negative demeanor can have on somebody and so, you know, I always, ever since that day, kept that at the forefront of what I do. And, you know, and every night I go home, you know, I read this book, Road to Character, because you got to work on your character every single day. And every night I go home, I ask myself, what were three things that I did today that I wasn't especially proud of? And how am I going to improve that tomorrow? You know, something as simple as I'm talking to somebody, but I'm really thinking about something else, so I'm already heading down the hallway. The most important conversation could be right then and there. So, tear to my eye, um, really appreciated that insight. Now, to get to the question, the benefit to, for younger generation, I think that is really critical, and it has to start first, and Jenny mentioned it, it's self-awareness. It's the self-awareness of where you are, but it's also the self-awareness to understand what is important to that generation what can they bring to the table? And then what is the future that we need to take into account? And so it's really important. And look, I'll just be the first one to tell you. I think the biggest barrier to driving the cultural change, especially to making an impact to younger generations, okay, it's us old, us old folks. We're comfortable. We went through this. It worked for us. And so we, we take the approach that, hey, we probably um, don't need to change. But if we understand the younger generation and the things that are important to them, and what is working and what's not working. And it's important. And so what we found is we've done a lot of um, listening sessions. We have a lot of surveys and feedback that come out of that. And we get a lot of feedback. And then we take that and we ask, you know, inclusive, what does it need to change and how does it need to change um, from each of those surveys? And I'll give you just two examples um, real quick. So, you know, um, for the Army, you know, and every organization, I mean, diversity, inclusion, and equal opportunity is so, so important. If you look at it, 51% of America is, are women. And so, but if you look at our diversity, you know, we're, we're doing okay, but we need to do better because that's a lot of talent that's out there that we're potentially not getting. And so when you look at it, there are things that we're becoming barriers in terms of pregnancy, postpartum, and other things. And so what we're seeing is a lot of um, challenges that potentially were creating barriers for women and also creating them to get out. And so it was through this group that came up and listening to our younger generation that said, how can we handle this? How do we change? And so everything else became about policy. How do we approach policy attendance at school? How do we approach how long to be there? How do we, you know, and it's not, wasn't just for the women because, you know, it also included men, single fathers. Um, so it was really how did we take care of our organization, our people, to maximize our potential for our mission set. Um, so that was just like one. The other one is, um, and it gets back to um, effective decision making. Um, and Jenny, you mentioned that 
you know, former SecDef Matt has often said, hey, I don't want to find out in the first battle that I have a leader that is not an effective leader or decision maker and doesn't have the cognition skills when he's in the middle of the battle leading his soldiers. Because in that, that leads um, soldiers' lives are lost. So he really challenged us. How do you come down and create where you can create those scenarios and get the reps and sets, and he call, we called it 25 bloodless battles before the first battle, so that you can evaluate the leadership, or you can put them in scenarios and hone that cognition skills of not just the leader, but everybody in the, that squad. And then through that, through that training, came cohesive teams, a much more effective team. So even though that first battle may not be exactly like the 25 reps that you just had, it was enough to give you that experience, that confidence, that trust in your equipment, that trust in your leaders, and to know that leader that's there has the ability to lead his or her team. So what we're finding um, through this too is as we're developing our new technology, it is, hey, not what we say up here and we think it's a good idea. How do we put the prototypes in the hands of the soldiers much sooner so that they can give us feedback and they can see the value of it? Because once they see the value of it, they will embrace it and run with it. And then, of course, us will go, hey, what a great idea, right? And we'll start to get on board. Because I think technology technology is here, so we've got to figure out how to embrace it and how to use it. Um, and it's a, it's a key enabler to younger generations. So, um, team, I, I, that's what I have. I'd be interested in your thoughts on that. Um, you know, if I can, I, I so agree. We're so in sync and this is not practice for those of you viewing. <laughs> we did not just kind of coordinate everything. Um, but one of the things I, I thought I, I wanted to amplify was at least in my experience um, in working with my team at Google, uh, because it was my first leadership role. I have been an individual contributor working in an executive search firm. Um, and so it was the first time I had actually managed and led um, the 30 people. And they were, most of them were under 30 years old. So that's Gen Z, I think, right? And some were straight out of college. And what I found is, um, to your point, General Jorvay, about, you know, taking care and, and connecting with this generation, I found, we were working for a tech company. I'm fairly tech savvy enough to do my work. But I found that there was such a desire and respect for wisdom, which I had. I and and this was something I learned from my father. He he was always curious and he always listened to young people. He always wanted to know, tell me what you're thinking. My friends love to come over and and talk to him, hear from him, but he was listening more than he was talking. And so I think that exchange of cross-generational um expectations and understandings and beliefs is really, really important, especially now since we have so many generations in the workforce, in the in the military even. Um, and so, you know, those those leaders who who might have gotten along by virtue of tenure, you just keep getting bumped along because you've been hanging around a long time. That shouldn't be the case, right? Some of these folks, it's time to retire, get out. If you're not really stepping up and elevating your competencies, to lead effectively, to lead different kinds of people, then you should no longer be in a leadership role. Um, and so I think, I'm guessing that General Dubé would uh, you know, agree with that based on what we've been sharing, but I just kind of wanted to amplify that because I do think 
there's a lot of change underfoot. Um, but people like me, um, who are you know well over 50, um, I, I can bring something still to the table. And I'm not expecting to be listening to just because I'm of a certain age or have a certain amount of experience. I do have wisdom that I can impart, but I also can benefit from understanding how other people are processing what's going on. Yeah, I think a, I think a key piece, Jenny, you know, as you're listening and as your father was listening, you will find that some of the most innovative, creative thinking. What And when you hear that, I think the best thing we can do for, you know, the younger generation to get to that positive change and benefit is when you, is to help bring it to fruition. Because see, that's probably where they don't have the legs, but the wisdom and the experience and what we can bring. That I think that's where we become so valuable in the process. Yes, agreed. You know, Jenny, I think hearing you um, join us today and the things that you've brought to the table, it's like you're an advocate for, <laughs> um, this is my squad and all of the cultural um, challenges that we have brought to our army leaders to from the top down to get out of their offices put down the doctrine and have a conversation that's it um i know especially at tradoc we've been really really pushing the building cohesive teams and that means knowing your soldiers and your squads outside of work you yeah. need to understand them completely and like i said everything that you're saying Sounds like you've got our this is my squad and building cohesive teams manual sitting right there on your desk. So this conversation has been so insightful and I almost hate to say that we've almost run out of time. So I just I really want to give each of you a chance to um, provide a closing thought and statement. I know you just provided an amplification of how important it is for leaders to listen listen to understand and listen to get to know their individuals to truly be able to shape their culture. But um, before we wrap up, I just wanna thank you again for your time with us today. Um, you, this has been an amazing conversation. I wish we could have two more hours, but is there anything else you'd like to share with um, our audience before we do wrap up today? Um, I, I think I would just want to say again how grateful I am and honored, truly. I've been so looking forward to this um, for the last several weeks and telling people, I get to speak to the Army. It truly is an honor. <laughs> um, and so more than anything, I, I just want to reiterate, uh, based on what I've seen in the corporate world for these several decades, um, I am proud to hear about all the things that you were doing in the Army because, as I said, we for so long have modeled ourselves without, I, I think it's been unwitting, but modeled the organizational structure after you. And so to know that you are, again, leading the charge, um, you know, rejiggering, adjusting, elevating, changing to um, adapt to current conditions, um, to the workforce that's out in, uh, around, in our country and around the world for that matter. Um, and so I'm, I'm just, I'm really excited and grateful and honored to have been able to spend this time with you. And um, and even that much more encouraged to hear all of the details and the similarities and parallels. Um, we're in this together. And I think we're we're right on the verge of some, um, some breakthroughs for all of us. I think COVID has done us a favor in that regard, where we've had to be more introspective, 
many of us that had to be home, many of you didn't have that, that opportunity. And so thank you for the sacrifices that you made on our behalf during these difficult times. Um, but yeah, I think we're, we're entering a new phase and I'm very optimistic that together we're all going to prosper and feel a lot safer and hopefully have a much more peaceful environment. Absolutely, and thank you again so much, Ms. Clark, for joining us. Your insight has been spellbinding. Let me just say that I, like I said, I wish I could sit with you for another hour and get your perspective, um, but I am gonna, um, unfortunately, have to wrap things up. Uh, General Gervais, now I want to give you the opportunity as well to provide some closing thoughts and comments for our audience after this incredible discussion. So, um, is there anything you'd like to share before we sign off, Pam? Yeah, hey, thanks, Sarah. Um, so, first of all, um, Jenny, absolutely incredible. Um, you know, I think when we look at it, we're all trying to work our way through pretty much very similar or the same type of challenges or and evaluating the approaches. So I think this exchange provides the opportunity for each of us to learn and grow through our organizations, but we're probably more similar than we are different. Um, and so we, um, from the Army's perspective, um, and General Funk and myself, thank you very much for taking the time out to do this. And more importantly, thank you for your advocacy for your, you know, your Army. Um, our Army. I think what we found through this entire discussion, though, I mean, it, it does come down to leadership. Leadership is like, you know, people often say it, 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 it is the difference maker in this. And, you know, we've seen it, good leaders, not so good leaders, and we've seen the impact that it can have on an organization um, and across our Army. And, you know, presence and being present um, you know, is so, so important. So although technology is coming in, um, I will submit that, that presence, that wisdom, I think that just makes us more important than ever. Um, because, you know, if you're not there having conversations, helping understand, you know, you don't get the same thing through a text or an email, right? And so what we say is leadership is a team sport you got to be present and engaged to make a difference um, because, you know, culture is really so important. And, and you want to make sure what you're saying is what is actually happening um, all the way throughout your organization. So, Jenny, thank you so much. And I could sit and listen to you for uh, the entire day. It, this was awesome. And, Sarah, thank you and your team for putting this together. Absolutely, ma'am. It was our pleasure to have you yet again. Um, like I said, it's nice to have you on the other side of the table this time uh, as uh, bringing some TRADOC leadership perspective into this conversation. And it honestly sounds like um, one of our big things here at TRADOC is to try to build some trust and confidence in the American people. And hearing Jenny's um, insight from how the corporate corporate America kind of builds their organizations, it sounds like no matter what choice, we're lockstep with them. And so the, the feedback and the learning that we've been able to do between Jenny and her knowledge in the Army, it's just really neat to see that, that connection and that overlap of just how we really are making an impact um, on society, whether we know it or not, um, based on how they build their organizations and hierarchies and things. So it's just really great to hear that the Army is moving forward in such a positive um, 
accurate direction uh, that our civilian counterparts are at the same time. So I just want to thank both of you again uh, for your time today and this really great conversation. And I also want to thank everyone in the audience for tuning in. These LPDs are only successful um, with, with your participation. So thank you to everyone who tuned in and was able to get, our, get some questions to us and we'll work on getting those answered. So creating a professional environment uh, that's diverse and competitive and effective requires guidance from those in leadership. Organizations with healthy, accepted, and supported cultures find success by putting their people at the center of everything they do. The Army has made great strides in improving its culture through talent management, leader development reforms, and increased focus on diversity and inclusion. This culture will continue to foster success for the force's greatest asset, its people. And we appreciate everyone who joined us today. And we want everyone to join us again next month on February 4th, as we discuss the importance of intrusive leadership in preventing suicide. Sergeant Major Thomas Campbell from the Center of Initial Military Training's G357 shop will share his battle with suicide. It'll be a really touching and moving LPD, and he'll be joined by Brigadier General John Klein, who's the commanding general of CIMT. We really would love to see you guys there for that important and moving conversation on intrusive leadership and preventing suicide. So thank you again, everyone, for joining us. And remember, victory starts right here.